Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Today we are starting a brand new series uh, on our core values. We're going to spend four weeks going through Connect, Grow, Serve, Go. Our core values, connect in authentic relationships, grow, man, here, I'm, I, quiz time for Gregory. Connect, grow in Christian maturity, serve God and others, and go tell people about Jesus. Whew, I made it. Okay, yay. Um, we're going to dial down on these for the next four weeks. The last time that I specifically got a chance to share about these and dial them out, I realized was pre-pandemic. For some of you, that might as well have been the Nixon administration. It's been so long. Uh, we don't remember, we have core values? What's that all about? So we're going to look at, here's the spoiler, the most logical, healthy, and necessary behaviors in the Christian life, okay? You're gonna, if you have been in church longer than five minutes, you're gonna go, duh. But the reason that we preach duh passages, are you ready? Everybody got their helmet on, their big boy pants, here it comes, it's gonna hurt. We preach the duh passages because we're not fully obeying them yet. Right? We're over 20 centuries in still having to say things like, love one another. Right? Why? Because we're still sinners, we're still, if you love Jesus, you know this, especially if you've read Romans, the spirit-born self is there, The spirit-born self always loves and honors God. But the flesh is there, and the flesh never loves or honors God. And you are a walking contradiction if you're a Christian. That's why you still sin. You have two natures. And you're excited, as our brother Paul was, when he said, oh, who will deliver me, right? That was his next sentence. After, oh, what a wretch of a man that I am, I do that which I don't want to do, and vice versa. He said, who's going to deliver me? But then he exults going, Jesus is going to save me from this. I'm not going to be sinning anymore. It won't even be a fight. You guys think you're going to be excited when you get to heaven and there's an endless supply of Pepsi, and there will be. But that's not why heaven's exciting. I don't ever have to wonder ever again, will I sin against my daughter? Will I sin against my wife? Will I sin against Conrad? It will never, ever even cross my mind. Will my reaction be wrong? And that was for free. So, core values, connect, grow, serve, go. Today, we're talking about connecting. This one would be a lot easier if we weren't Americans. Anybody here, just for fun, anybody just for fun, born and raised in a country other than the U.S.? I know we have some. So I'm going to what? At least 15%, 20%? Awesome. Wonderful. The Western, what? (laughs) The People's Republic of Texas, does that count? Um, <laughs> the thing is that when I come up here and try to say that we are a people who connect, you knew the sermon title if you got your notes. When I try to say we connect, this is something that we do. Western and largely American, Western individual, this button's not. Do you guys have a magical button up there? I'll let them work on that. Uh, I'm fighting... Actually, all of your elders and staff and Bible teachers are fighting against something that you've been bathed in, you've been steeped in your entire life of whatever they're doing, I'm my own man or I'm my own woman. And there's truth to that, but we for sure can take that too far. 
Um, and it has led to this really tragic, I, I didn't want to put a bunch of stats in this sermon, and so I'm not, I didn't put anything in the slides, but Christian researchers have found some really, really tragic data about people in North America who call themselves Christians. Roughly, are you ready for it? Roughly half of them say, yes, my church is a vital part of me following Jesus. It's like, what do I do with that? After I'm done crying, what am I going to do with that? Half? Now, does that mean the church is doing a terrible job of encouraging, equipping, or does that mean that that person's just doesn't even have a church, like, I don't need one. I don't, I don't know what the data means. What I know is it's not good. Us learning to be in relationship with each other joyfully, purposefully, even when we rub each other like sandpaper and we have to do grace and we have to do forgiveness and reconciliation, all these one another commands of the New Testament that we're going to explore some of them today, they're hard. Maybe it's because we're in a, a, a culture addicted to comfort, Maybe it's our consumeristic nature. Why do relationship? Relationships are messy. And yet God is going to tell us, I believe today, and has been telling us for a long time, one, when he created humanity, he made us in his image, and he is a community, Father, Son, and Spirit. This is why God could create half of humanity, man, and say, although he was sinless, it's not good. What's not good? It's not good for him to be alone. God was the only one who knew when Adam was created that God was only half finished. He had only created half of humanity. When he created the other half of humanity, then he said, now it's good, and he blessed them. We were not good, we were not blessed until we were a community, period. That's just the first two chapters, guys. We haven't even made it into the second chapter of scripture, and we're already running against things that we just don't believe. Now, I can do it on my own. (laughs) I think the New Testament in particular, but really the whole Bible is also, God is trying to tell us, that relationship is the Petri dish for spiritual growth. Who remembers 10th grade science, what a Petri dish is? It's the exact opposite of what your mother was always trying to do in the kitchen. Your mother did not want things to grow. (laughs) The Petri dish is, what can we do? Make sure that every living organism has certain needs. How can we make this? It's basically a garden. If you're gardening, you're asking yourself, is there enough nitrogen in the soil? Is there enough sunlight? Is there enough water? Have I pulled weeds? Have I dealt with pests? There are multiple things. And yet, where are my gardeners at? Anybody enjoy gardening? Pastor Dennis shared his snap peas with me last summer. You can't make it grow. You can't. Anybody here in your walk with Jesus wish you could snap your fingers and make yourself mature spiritually? Snap your fingers and a certain sin would just be gone. You wouldn't have to fight with it anymore. Wouldn't that be nice? Okay. If connection to each other is where spiritual gifts come alive, where teaching, encouragement, correction, rebuke, if this all comes alive in community, then community is not a cute add-on. It is probably survival. The Bible calls us sheep. If you're a brand new baby sheep, do you want to go off wandering away from the shepherd and away from the flock? No, because you're going to be renamed. Or d'oeuvre. (laughs) 
Community is not an add-on, it is survival. And that's what I'm gonna try to get us to today. We're gonna look at two types of texts today. Acts chapter two, but this is page 907 if we handed the hardback to you. Everybody else, if you happen to be familiar or if you can just type it in, Acts two, the very last part of the chapter. There are two types of scriptures. Descriptive and prescriptive. And I'm not sure I've gone over this before, so I want to take a moment because we're covering both of them today. Descriptive. Describing, telling you, in this case, what happened. A history book like Acts. It is telling you what happened. Prescriptive. You've heard that word before. Like a prescription from your doctor. A prescription is telling you what to do. Okay? So, when you're in the Old Testament and you read for your morning devotion saying, Lord, what should I do today? And you open up and it says, and then they went and slaughtered the Amalekites. Should you go slaughter an Amalekite today? As a practical application for your Bible reading time? No, because if you're reading a history, which is a descriptive text, it's telling you what occurred. All right? You do not open up your Bible and Judas went and hanged himself. That's not your daily devotional call to action. It is a description of what happened. Okay? The entire book of Acts, which we're about to read a really important section here on community, is also descriptive. So, we're going to do a careful dance here. We're going to see what the Holy Spirit was doing in the early church, and we're going to try to draw principles from it and be aware of God, what God was doing, while being very careful, because boy, do we make mistakes as Christians in the book of Acts. We make a lot of mistakes going, oh, God acted once that way, he must always work that way. And if you've studied the miracles of the Bible, you know that's ludicrous. He can raise the dead different ways. He can kill, heal a leper different ways. Like, the, the common thread is his power and mercy, not the methodology, okay? If he tells you to go dip in the Jordan seven times, like, it's, it's more about a heart of obedience. Go do what he said, okay? Uh, so, we're gonna read this I'm going to make a few comments, but we're going to be careful. Even though I think there are powerful uh, conclusions we need to draw from this, it's more like painting a picture. And as you study a picture, you slowly and carefully see the nuance of the colors and how they play in with each other and give you a little bit of an image of maybe, just maybe, Lord, what should your church, what should your bride look like in the 21st century? What could we aspire to? Some specific prescriptive texts we're going to get to in just a moment, some of the one another's of scripture. Acts 2.42. This is our brother Luke who's writing. He wrote the gospel of Luke and then Acts is the part two where he's talking about the Holy Spirit pushing the church out of Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth. So Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, fills the church. A bunch of people get saved after Peter preaches. Verse 42. Most of the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Did I read it right? I have three votes for no. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching when they felt like it. No, you're laughing at me. That hurts my feelings. Okay, third time. Let's try this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Real quick, by the way, what is the apostles' teaching at this point? 
What is the apostles' teaching? Testimony of the life, teachings, holiness, death, and resurrection and lordship of Christ. We saw him. He was dead and then he was alive. He was the Messiah. He told us he was Messiah. It didn't click, but now it clicked. He's the Messiah we've been waiting for. Okay? That's important because 2,000 years later, we're still supposed to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. You didn't see the empty tomb with your own eyes. They did. And we see it by faith, what they saw with their own eyes. And as we just covered in John a few weeks ago, Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen with their own eyes and yet believe. Like we're actually more blessed than Peter and John were. Is your mind blown yet? Because I know you would have been excited to run to the empty tomb. Right? No, just me? I totally want to run to that empty tomb. Our Western mindset has us convinced that we would believe better if we just had an empty tomb to run to, but Jesus said the opposite. Because faith isn't about eyes. It's here. A deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Again, that flies in the face of Western thinking. How do they have this deep sense of awe and then miraculous signs and wonders? I thought you're supposed to do a trick and then I'll be amazed. A deep sense of awe? Well, where did that come from? Well, they already had, they had the Holy Spirit and from that Spirit's filling, they were devoted to the Apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, and to prayer. They are, by the Holy Spirit's power, being this community that God has dreamt of since eternity past. How are you not going to be in awe? Because this community is about an awesome God. Of course they're in awe. If you're a Christian, you don't need God to do a trick to be in awe. He already made you from the dust of the earth. He saved you when you didn't deserve to be saved. There's plenty to be in awe of. I woke up today not in hell. I'm in awe. I would love for my body to be healed, but I don't need that to be in awe. Have you seen the Grand Canyon? Are you guys... Smith, are you going to do the Grand Canyon? I forget. I know I asked you. You You're not going to do... I'm going to smack your father around, but he would shoot me? Anyway. (laughs) Got to see the Grand Canyon. Guys, there are places on earth... A photo is great, but when you stand there, how do you not spiritually just understand how small you are? There's nothing you could do to that canyon to take away the slightest piece of its glory. You could get the biggest sledgehammer you ever saw in a Lowe's or a Home Depot and whack up the side for a day and a half, whack up the side of part of that canyon, and the tourists on the other side of the canyon wouldn't even notice you'd done any work. And that is what our arrogant, foolish accusations sound like against the Most High when we tell God that he doesn't exist, that he's stupid, that he's not loving. It says not take away from his glory in the least. I didn't make a dent. Do you know why? Because he is self-existent outside of my magnanimous opinion. He is who he is. And that's the best news in the universe. 44, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. What? Did you just hear consumerism get kicked in the face? I'm saving up this to buy a bazillion inch screen TV for me, right? 
And then a need comes along and I could use that cash now to bless somebody, but I'm like, ah, yeah, but this is, I mean, I'm a pretty big deal. I deserve that TV. I work hard, right? He extrapolates further in verse 45. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. You sold property? So let's be clear here so that we're not um, condemned in any way by what we're seeing here. Nowhere in scripture does God say, make yourself homeless, okay? The presumption beneath this text is somebody had some land they weren't living on, amen? Hey, Job was filthy rich, Abraham was filthy rich, Solomon, don't get me started. So it's not evil to have wealth. The question is, does the wealth have you? And there are some in the community that have some land that they're not living on, and there was need. They have some extra resources. So there's clearly a calling. Generosity is giving what you have, not what you don't have. Okay? So in case I've never told you, please, 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 never, ever, 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 have I belabored the point long enough? ever, ever go on to Breeze, our church management system, and say, I'm going to donate and give to us on a credit card that's going to charge you 17%. Please don't do that. You spend a little time in prayer and a lot of time budgeting. That's what you should do. Don't swipe that credit card. That, that was for free. Amen. Don't swipe a credit card in the name of Jesus. That, there's no point for that. They worship together at the temple each day met in homes for the Lord's Prayer. I don't think small groups are in the Bible. Uh, Met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. That is specifically saying outside of those who believed. For a short time, before persecution comes, for a short time, the city of Jerusalem is in awe These people are really kind. They're gentle and forceful in saying Jesus is Messiah. They care for the poor in their own midst. Wow. Huh. Who'd have thunk it? Uh, Enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to the fellowship those who were being saved. Holy Spirit, we ask for your leadership and your teaching right now to help us understand what in this text very much ought to be inspiring us now in 2022. God, we confess that we don't have wisdom on our own to know exactly what we ought to do. For sure, Lord, there would be some silliness if we just said we're going to try to carbon copy everything um, in methodology. But Lord, we do so clearly see that you were at work in your people and we believe, Lord, that you still are at work in your people. Otherwise, you would have returned. So I ask you, Father, to please breed a hunger in ARCF God, that we want to be doing our Father's work and that we will not be satisfied until we are busy about our Father's work. Loving each other, serving each other, equipping each other, and blessing the world with the good news of your great love. Teach us the scriptures today. We ask this in the generous name of Jesus, God's people said. Amen. Amen. If Greg's intro ends at 9.58, we know we're in trouble. So the rest of this is going to keep a decent pace, believe it or not. We're going to talk relatively briefly through four different examples of one another's and how they come into play. 
There are something like 45 one another's in the New Testament. We could not possibly cover them all well unless we did a six or seven week series. We're not doing that. The underpinning, what I'm hoping when we, when we get through this, I hope that we'll see that connection is worth the price paid. It's more than worth the price paid is what I'm hoping for. So here's your first blank, and this is kind of an overarching statement for what we're going to do today. Here's the, the long form of how I would state this core value, connect in authentic relationships. I would say it this way. Connect with the saints by forging authentic friendships over time. If we're going to be a people who connect, we connect with the saints by forging authentic friendships over time. Why did, I apologize. I did not make a slide for that. I, I biffed. Connect with the saints by forging authentic friendships over time. That's, that's the umbrella. Now let's get into some specifics. First, from Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. Correction is hard from a friend, but often ineffective altogether from a stranger. Anybody enjoy a total stranger, unsolicited, telling you what to do? <laughs> Your toddler is crying in the grocery store. A lady walks up. What you need to do is... <laughs> what I need to do is apologize to Jesus for how I just kicked you in the face. <laughs> Doesn't correction come colliding into our pride immediately? Holy cow. Look what the proverb writer said. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Do we believe that? We're in a culture, the whole don't tread on me, has basically said rebuke is evil. That's kind of where we're at. If you're telling me that I'm doing something wrong, you're evil. You can't tell me what is right, what is wrong, what I, that I'm doing it wrong. Yikes. Yet scripture says, man, if you know somebody deeply loves you, them telling you a hard thing is far better than smooth talk from an enemy. You know, if somebody's an enemy, it doesn't matter how good they sound, right? Because they're going to have wrong motives. But somebody who's proven their love for you, so I don't have a picture because there is no picture for this, but um, had this happen, my best buddy, Ken, about uh, five, six, seven years ago, had to come and talk to me one-on-one, -on -one, and it was hard um, it was particularly hard against my pride because it was something that Emily had been trying to get through to me for years. And so she brought in the big guns. <laughs> like, Ken, can you come talk to him? And uh, what it was, this won't surprise any of you, some of us, some of us dream in color. Some of us, our dreams go from pencil to ink really fast. And... We're so confident that it's going to happen. We talk about our plans and our dreams as if it's going to happen tomorrow. And what I was doing over and over again in marriage and in pastoral leadership is I was talking about something that I thought would be really great 
and in my mind was maybe two, three, five, ten years out, and people around me two weeks later would be going, okay, Greg, are we going to do it? Because my confidence, but the sound and the, everything about the way I said it was like, it's now. And what Emily had been trying to get through to me, what Ken thankfully got through to me, he said, Greg, scripture's really clear. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. All other such boasting is evil. We don't say that we're going to travel to this town and do this and do that. We'll make a profit. You don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. He said, Greg, the way that you sound, all of us are thinking it's happening tomorrow and we're all depending on you and then it's tearing down credibility when it doesn't happen. You've got to figure this out. Yikes. Yikes. And you know what? I wasn't mad at him. I wasn't mad at him. We'd been best friends for 16 years at that point. 15 years at that point. If you know you can trust the source, even a tough thing is beautiful and it's powerful. Guys, correction is hard enough from a friend, but from a stranger? So, look around at the saints in the room. If one of them has a blessing for you where they need to correct you, how are they gonna do that if you guys aren't connected to each other? Right? I'm telling you right now, that conversation with Ken was a tremendous blessing to me. That was a gift. And there are gifts sitting around you in other chairs right now that you will not receive unless you're in relationship with those folks. So when we say join a Sunday school class or join a, join a disciple group or be a part of Pastor Dennis Wednesday night Bible study, we're not trying to fill a program so the church looks cool. We're trying to put you in proximity to blessing. I didn't get any amens on that at all. If the Bible says blessings over here and your shepherds say, hey, go over here, that means your shepherds love you. Okay, it's it's really that simple. Second, one another. Encouragement has a greater impact with someone who's walked with me. Anybody here ever been in a tough spot and had a genuine, lovely, good-hearted soul say, Hun, it's going to be okay because they wanted to encourage you. They wanted to pick you up. They wanted, you know. Anybody had those words just fall flat and tone deaf because you weren't in relationship with them? You had no idea if they'd suffered in that similar way. You have no idea. They're probably just trying to be a nice person. And so they said, Hun, it's going to be okay. Let's take a look at Galatians 6. Apostle Paul. Dear brothers and sisters, if any. And if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Oh, I thought we were supposed to kick him in the face and pick it. Oh, okay. Uh, And be careful not to fall into that same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Anybody glad they came to church today? I'm not that important. Okay. You are not, as a saint, too important to help another saint. And what's the help? What's the bear another burden? Based on the first verse we read, what's, what's the burden? What's the context of this bearing one another's burdens? Somebody's fallen flat on their face into a big 
pile of their favorite sin yet again after sharing, like they've shared, they've asked for prayer. They w- you don't kick them while they're down in the mud. If that's not a particular, you pull them up and you do so gently. Okay? Now, all of us are called to this. If you love Jesus, we all pull each other out of the mud. But man, isn't it more powerful when someone says, it's already a little more powerful when somebody says, yeah, that's one of my favorite mud holes too. And I'm really struggling and I'm gonna pray for you as well, man. Because there's no judgment there. I fall into that mud, mud hole all the time. You know what's even slightly more encouraging if they do it well? I was addicted to that mud hole for 15 years and God got me out of it. I didn't do it, God did. And I'm gonna pray for you and I'm gonna walk with you and I'm gonna encourage you because there's no judgment because I did it for 15 years, right? And there's hope of what the Holy Spirit accomplishes through his word and through the community of faith. And by his, you know, so there's a lot of hope there. So I want you to compare and contrast two ideas. One is, after having a fight, your wife of 24 minutes says, we're going to make it, babe. Or after a fight, your wife of 24 years says, we're going to make it, babe. Are those different? Any married people know virtually nothing 24 minutes into your marriage? I knew nothing, that's for darn sure. We're gonna make it, babe. It's a little different. Years of struggle, years of having to forgive, years of figuring out how to communicate, years of making it work. You've gone to war together, essentially, multiple times. And you have stuff to point back to and say, we made it then, and we made it through that, and we made it through that, and we made it through that. We're gonna make it, babe. Okay? And this is why it is so precious. If you have somebody in the church that you've been a friend, friends with them for two or three months, that's lovely. But if you've been friends for 20 years, there's power there. They always say the uh, second best day to plant a tree is today. When's the best day? 20 or 30 years ago was the best day to plant a tree. That's what, I need shade. I should have done something 20 years ago. I want to encourage you that when I tell you to do the scary thing of making new friends by joining a Bible study or a disciple group, I'm not just trying to connect you now, although I am. 25-year, 35-year, 50-year friendships have to start somewhere. Every one of them had a starting point. They have to start somewhere. Another one another. Instruction is laser focused when the teacher and the student know each other. This one's really personal for me, but I just want to share it and make it clear. What I do here on a Sunday morning is in one sense very exciting to me and in another sense very frustrating. It is pastoral in the sense of the flock needs to hear from the Lord and so I'm gonna do my very best to not mess up the text and tell everybody what the text says. And that's very necessary. Peter just did it. 
He preached to thousands of people and what he said was true and helpful and necessary for a group of people that needed to know their savior. But you know what? There's another type of teaching ministry that's also really exciting. It's when I'm in a particular struggle and I am doubting God and I'm not sure what to do and I'm sharing it during group and asking the guys for prayer and Neil brings a piece of scripture directly to me in that moment and says, hey, Greg, remember this. And he reminds my soul of something that is laser focused and it meets and addresses my need right now because I just shared my need. How were Neil and I able to share our needs? Well, there were five guys sitting in a circle instead of a hundred people. That's how. It was really practical. Teaching ministry one-on-one is like a scalpel. It's, it's a laser. Teaching ministry with a hundred is like getting a tan. Same amount of energy spread out. So you have to keep coming back every week and keep reading your Bible during the week, right? Be affected and infected by the word of God. So I want to take a look at this first part of verse 16, Colossians 3. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Who's the he? Christ. You just go up to the next proper noun. Christ gives wisdom, and with that wisdom, you are to counsel and teach each other. Anybody suffering under the delusion that the teachers are the ones that stand up on stage? Yeah, Paul just outed you. (laughs) You're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, you're a teacher. It's not talking about spiritual gifts or anything like that. It's saying that we are to build each other up through reminding each other of what the Word of God says. We strengthen each other that way. So I want you to imagine, if you went to college, this will be easier for you to imagine. If you didn't, just smile and pretend. You're in a freshman level class that everybody has to take, like History 17A or whatever, you know, U.S. history up to the Civil War. Everyone's got to take this class. So no matter what major you are, so they put you in this ginormous lecture hall. And you have a question There are 170 students in the room, and you have a question. What are your thoughts at this point? Is the class too big to raise my hand? What has the professor said? Are the parameters for this class? I've been in classes so big, they said, we're not raising hands. You can shoot me an email if you're that curious. And so that's what you did, because there were just too many people in the room. You listened to the lecture, you took notes, you left. That was it. But, and I apologize for the graininess of this picture. I think it was before the iPhone. But this is a real picture. Four students at MIT wanted to connect with their professor and said, would you, you, know, would you go out for sushi if we bought? And the professor said yes. Now, I have no idea. So they hopefully had a lovely evening. But if you've got a question for your professor now, what are the thoughts in your mind? What are your reservations about asking it? There might be little to no reservation. If your professor said yes to giving you his or her time to break bread, you have an unbelievable amount of access at this point. Uh, The Monday night uh, group even made some comments um, that as we were still wrestling with John 21 
about some more things I was able to share in group related to my studies. And it was just really obvious and I reminded them, I was like, my preparation is this and then the hard part is like, how much can I shove into 45 minutes? You know what I mean? So in group on Monday night, if they want to poke and prod on something else, I might be, have more to share. But how, how intimate is this? Five people at a table? ARCF, let me ask you a really important question. Is Pastor Greg crazy if his dream for ARCF is that everyone has a seat at the table with somebody pastoring them? Because we are already too big of a church for me to sit down with all of you, so it can't be Greg-centered. Neither do I want it to be. I'm not the savior. I want, just my two cents, I want every man in this church to have at least one elder that he calls a friend without hesitation. Not just I know him, he's a friend. That's my actual hope. I want every woman in this church to have at least one elder's wife that you would say without hesitation, she's my friend. I don't even think of the fact that she's an elder's wife. She's my friend. That is gonna take our pastoral care up to 11 when there are shepherds carefully, strategically spread out throughout the flock, just like happened in Nehemiah, I'm sorry, Ezra. When Ezra read the scriptures, that all the priests and all the Levites were spread out to explain to people in smaller groups what they just heard when they had questions. Sunday school classes and disciple groups and Bible studies are us taking our priests and spreading them out to make sure everybody is in close enough relationship with a professor that they feel without hesitation they can ask a question and get that next little piece of what they need in their journey with Christ. This is part of what we mean when we say connect. Connect to each other, but including connecting to those who are teaching you, who are helping you understand scripture. Last, service or care. Service and care are active instead of reactive when we know each other. They're active instead of reactive. Now, there's nothing wrong with reactive ministry. You find out that somebody has a need and then you spring into action, right? But how cool is it? Same idea, five of us sitting down. This is why our disciple groups, we appoint a care leader. Sunday, the um, 55 and forward, we're about to appoint one here in 30 minutes. Every group has a care leader who knows how people are doing, responds, writes thinking of you notes, has everybody's contact information, texts you, hey, I know you're sick, how are you, or, or a phone call. Care has to happen at the highest levels, and if we're already in relationship with each other, we already know. I, I've said this to you before, I wanna say it again. In my small groups class that I took at Simpson University many moons ago, my small groups professor said, on the very first day, he says, I'm gonna tell you the mile marker that you're going for. Here's how you're gonna know that your church has healthy group life. Are you ready? This is the very first day of small group class. He said, when the lead pastor is the 11th person in the hospital room, you won. You've won. They're sick, they're in crisis, they had something happen and the first 10 people that they felt close to and felt like these are people I care about, these are the people I wanna be with right now. The first 10 of them did not have the title pastor. 
Good job, pastor, you won. You replaced yourself. You decentralized pastoral ministry. I called my small group. Oh, I guess we should get a pastor in here too. That is emblematic of abiding relationships and trust and care. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 12, talking about spiritual gifts. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. Do we ever emphasize this? All the discussion about spiritual gifts, he says the reason why is for care. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part's honored, all the parts are glad. Why do we have different spiritual gifts? Why are we in relationship with each other? To use those spiritual gifts to care for one another. There's a lawnmower picture next, if we have it. I wouldn't care, but man, I searched Google over and over for a non-licensed image of a lawnmower. Okay. (laughs) So, some of you feel my pain. I'm not going to use the names of the people involved to steal their joy, to out them, but this is an example of exactly what I'm talking about out of 1 Corinthians 12.25. In one of our small groups just a few months ago, a millennial started doing yard work for a boomer. Baby boomer born between 46 and 64. You were born right after that one sailor dipped that one lady in New York for that kiss? Yeah, you. Yeah, remember that picture? Okay, 46 through 64. If you're in health well enough that you're still pushing that lawnmower, praise God. But one of our folks needed some help and a young buck went out and started taking care of that need. That need did not come through the office. It was not sent through a prayer email. We were in group together and a need was made known and a need was met to the glory of God. Okay, guys, care gets better and better and better the more we know each other. This is why we connect. We are a people who connects. That's what we do here because we need each other and we need the Holy Spirit in and through each other. So here's your homework, the bottom of your notes. The sermon's done. Here's the homework for consideration, both now and throughout the week. Here are some really important one another's that I did not preach. And I want you to ask yourself this. If your disciple group or Sunday school class received a letter grade on each of these five things, love, hospitality, harmony, building up, and devotion, if, you got, if your group got a letter grade on all of them, what would the report card look like? What would it look like? A gut check is healthy. And how can your group grow in glad obedience to these commands of Jesus? The commands of God are not there just to crush us and to condemn us. It's like, okay, it's to call us now toward action. How can our groups grow in love, hospitality, harmony, building each other up and devotion to one another? How can we grow? So I want to encourage you to be in a group or a class if you're not in one. I want to encourage those groups. The reason we have six different leaders for one group is so all the spiritual gifts get put into action and all of the work doesn't fall on one or two people. ARCF, when I was candidating to come here and people were telling me about the church, they told me one thing over and over and over. And some of you are new, so you wouldn't know this. 
necessarily. I was told, this is a loving church. 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 And as the great DC Talk told us back in 1992, love is a verb. Love is a verb. So allow all of these commands to encourage us and to call us higher to go and love one another. All of this really follows under kind of one umbrella. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word and we thank you, God, in advance, believing it's going to be effective in our minds and in our hearts, affecting our hands and feet, God, that we would take action. Jesus, help us to choose purposefully into um, greater and greater authenticity with each other so that we can be corrected and give correction, so that we can give encouragement in a better way and receive encouragement. All of these things, God, that you're showing us. Take our uh, koinonia, Lord, and, and shape it, God, until koinonia is A+, plus, not just for some of us, but for all of us. Take us to the next level, God, because we believe that you are glorified as the saints love one another and the blood of Jesus is shown to be as powerful as it really is, reconciling people from very different backgrounds. Lord, we love you, but help our love to grow. In the great name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We'll do some announcements. Rock on. Well, good morning, ARCF family. Can you believe that it's almost June? Well, that's kind of exciting because it's the beginning of our summer calendar and boy, do we have some exciting events coming up that you're going to want to put on your calendar. And the first item that we're going to highlight today is the Community Marketplace. The Community Marketplace is basically a fancy name for a shared yard sale. And we all know that we have things lying around the house that would actually look good in someone else's house. And no, I'm not talking about your spouses, your children, or your pets. So don't get any wild ideas. But if you do have a few things that you need to offload, why not make a few dollars? And you can reserve a 10 foot by 10 foot spot for free. That's right, free. We are having our community marketplace on Saturday, June 4th from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. right outside on our very own lawn. Like I said, spaces are free, but you do have to reserve them ahead of time. So if you would like to participate, please make sure you head over to myarcf.com forward slash markets, or you can sign up at the back table of the worship center before you leave today. And if you have any questions, please make sure you contact Melissa Kennedy. Now, the next announcement that I have is for you ladies. The women's retreat is back. As always, it is being held at Diamond Arrow in beautiful Nevada City. This is a great getaway for our ARCF women. And the dates for the retreat this year are Friday, September 16th through Sunday, September 18th. Costs vary and there are partial scholarships available. If you're interested in getting more information on the retreat, you can take a look at the flyer in your bulletin or you can go see Mary who will be out in the foyer right after the service today. You can also visit our district's website listed below for more information or to register. So ladies, mark your calendars. Now, the last thing I have for you today is a quick reminder that Bible Day Camp is rapidly approaching. Bible Day Camp is scheduled from June 20th to June 24th, so essentially it's one month away. And we still need lots of volunteers to make this event happen. We still got some positions that need to be filled, and without filling those positions, we can't have Bible Day Camp. 
That's right. It takes a lot of work and a lot of volunteers to make Bible Day Camp happen because it's such a huge event. This event is such a blessing to have because it gives us the opportunity to share Jesus not only with our ARCF kids, but with the kids in our Citrus Heights community. So if you are able and willing to help out, please make sure that you go see Sherry Marat to see how you can help out this year. All right, church family, that's all I've got for you. As always, please make sure you grab yourself a bulletin, read left to right, front to back for more events and more information. All right. I'm going to dismiss, and then what are you going to do? Oh, brownie points. You're dismissed.